company is in a bit of trouble and you bring in a big time consultant to analyze the situation and make recommendations. Mark Efren is one of those consultants and he says he usually sees the same thing. The single largest missing element that I find at our clients around the world is accountability for good leadership. Accountability sounds so, well, obvious. And Mark Efron says, obvious isn't the same thing as easy. Ken Banta, founder and principal of the Vanguard Network, sat down with Mark Efron and started off by asking him about talent at the top. So no, in my own experience, uh, we found that uh, there was a very simple rule that uh, A players attracted A players below them and around them, and B players attracted Bs and Cs, and C players attracted C, Ds, and Es, uh, and therefore the logic is obvious. Uh, it's not simply that you have a certain level of a person in a role, but everyone around them then becomes either, uh, let's say, influenced or infected by what they are. So with the high importance that we all place on, on high performance people, why are there so many low performance people in these jobs? That, that is a question that has uh, confounded me for years. When we go out to our clients, we're all big global companies and we ask their top leaders, you know, do you believe in high performance? Oh, absolutely, we believe in high performance. Okay, well you just said that three of your top leaders really aren't doing what they need to do. What are you doing about that? And we hear lots of excuses. Well, it's tough to find replacements. Well, they're good enough for now. Well, I'm gonna deal with that next year. The challenge in many uh, cases is that we're human and we react like humans, meaning good enough is sometimes good enough if I don't have to deal with the pain of replacing that individual. Or I'd rather not risk delivering on project X because I'm sure Bob can get that done and I'll deal with that later. Oftentimes, even though we intellectually understand the benefit of having higher quality talent, we don't have oftentimes the emotional fortitude um, to, to follow through with that decision. And to your categorization of A, B, and C, we back many days ago or many years ago, when I was at Bank of America, we had a, a saying that was uh, B players can't evaluate A players. And that I think adds to the challenge of if I'm a B player, I think the people I'm evaluating are absolutely fine. Because I don't have the context to understand, no, there are B players like you. So, you know, again, in my experience uh, in uh, management and leadership, uh, I found uh, that there were two uh, very negative consequences of uh, sort of not, not having the best people around. Uh, and one was that um, people started to lose trust in you because if you had uh, second raters uh, around in your orbit, you may think they're just fine and they're doing okay, but um, the people in the rest of the organization say, why is uh, this guy or woman uh, bringing in second raters, e either they're second rate or we're second rate, or this organization is second rate. So what's going on? And then the other element that I found was very interesting also is that um, the, uh, the the performance of everybody else started to drop because uh, they felt that uh, you know well that person was not holding them to a high standard. They didn't sh they didn't see a visible high standard to model, and so you saw a sort of downward uh, spiral in terms of impact, which was really quite amazing. So it wasn't just the person; it was the influence. W would you agree with that? I think it's classic shadow of the leader. If I work for Bob and I see Bob retaining low performers, then I think a few things. One, either Bob doesn't know what good looks like uh, and or those low performers are sucking up my bonus. I'm, I'm a high performer, so I'm kind of wondering what those folks are getting paid. 
Um, if that's what Bob thinks is good, I might not want to be on this team. I'm certainly not going to invite anybody that I know and trust into my company because we've got Bob's here and, and they wouldn't want to work for him. So completely agree. There is, you described it perfectly, that downward spiral of top talent sees mediocre talent being retained. They believe all the things that you just uh, described. They leave the organization. Reputation takes a hit. Fewer top talent joins. Performance decreases more. Fewer top, less top talent joins. And it is a very fast uh, spiral. And especially with the the social media um, transparency that's forced on us today around companies through Glassdoor and other um, and other sites, while maybe in the past you could hide that for four or five years, now you can probably hide it for four or five days. Yeah, fascinating. And uh, uh, looking at a more positive way, how can you turn that downward spiral into an upward spiral? So you've diagnosed your team, suddenly realize perhaps that. Uh, Many, if not most of them, are uh, not top performers. What do you do? I think a few things. One is, how. let's set clear standards. Are we clear about what differentiates high performance? Because maybe Ken's view and Mark's view are very different. So let's first come up with a standard. Here's what we mean, Bob, by high performance. Here's how we see you compared to that standard. At that point, I need to make a call as a manager. Do I think Bob can make it or not? Great, let's make the call. Here's the challenge in a lot of companies you know that Bob can't make it. You don't make the call. And that goes to that downward spiral we just talked about. If you think Bob can make it, let's have a transparent discussion. Hey, Bob, here's the standard. Here's where we see you. Here's what I think you can do, but here's what I need to see you deliver going forward. I mean, that's a very transparent conversation. It's not an easy conversation, but it's a transparent conversation to say there's a clear standard I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain where you're seen right now. If you have a difference of opinion, let's talk about that, but I'm your boss. And let's talk about how I will help you to get to that better outcome. In many ways, the conversation can be that simple, but it really needs to start with, am I as a manager clear about whether Bob is ever going to be able to be a 75th or 80th percentile performer? Because if in my mind, what I'm really thinking is, I'm sure I can get Bob from the 20th to the 40th, That's not the conversation. The conversation is, how do I get more high-performing talent on my team? So in many cases, that's a long answer. The short answer, uh, clear standards and transparency about where people compare against those. Yeah, and maybe a dose of courage as well to uh, make the tough calls. I think uh, that's – because I think you're right, in my opinion, you see all the time people get to to third base, which is um, this person is not quite up to it after all. However, uh, good enough, or uh, I'll deal with it later, and uh, they're still there 10 years later. The single largest missing element that I find at our clients around the world is accountability for good leadership. And by accountability, I don't mean, oh, Bob, you're accountable. I mean, consequential accountability. Bob, if you're a good leader, and we're going to have a way of measuring that, good things will happen to you. If you're not a good leader, not good things will happen to you. That's what consequential is going to mean. Because people throw around the word accountability a lot in organizations, but I, and I'm sure you have seen lots of bad leaders who are making a really nice income and leading really big groups. Apparently there is no accountability for for being a bad leader. So the challenge in a lot of organizations is if you're serious about good leadership, if you actually believe that better leaders deliver better results, there needs to be some consequential accountability around that. Uh, 
let's shift gears to you, uh, Mark. What 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 took you to this uh, role? What was your journey uh, in coming in becoming a, a, a talent guru? Yeah, um, I'll I'll uh, push that label aside, but let me talk about <laughs> how I how I got to to where I am. For and I'll, I'll give you the the brief version. Went off to business school, having been a congressional staff assistant and a political consultant. I had never worked in a big company, had no concept about any of the things we're talking about today. Got to school, was shoved into the kind of the standard first semester MBA curriculum, and the one class that just seemed to click with me was around organizational behavior, where I sweated through stats and accounting and econ, and organizational behavior are just kind of like, okay, well, that goes here, and these people connect this, and just everything seemed to fit very easily, and I said, hey, can you make money doing this? I said, yeah, cool. That's, That's the new career and really moved back and forth between corporate and consulting roles over 20 years. Uh, But I always had in the back of my mind this view that most companies are not particularly good at driving performance through talent, and most consulting firms present grossly overcomplicated and grossly expensive solutions to helping companies be better at this. And so I put all those thoughts in my first book out of Harvard, One Page Talent Management, that basically said there's a radically simpler way of approaching getting better performance through talent. And it was all about, here's what the science says. It wasn't Mark Efron has 38 brilliant ideas. It was thousands of brilliant scientists have been looking at how people and companies work together. There's a ton of great proof, hardcore scientific proof about how that works. Why don't we just apply that? So that first book basically said, let's summarize all that great science and say, do these things. It's often uh, said, and certainly I believe it, that uh, one key to being a great leader is to uh, know yourself and to evaluate yourself really well and for better, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly. Um, how do you go about that yourself and how do you, how do you coach others to uh, assess themselves in, a, in an honest way? Sure. Well, I think it starts by recognizing there's likely two big things that we need to understand about ourselves. One is, how am I naturally wired to show up? So our personality, uh, we're largely born with it, essentially fully shaped by the time we're 18, 20 years old. So when people say things like, well, I was just born this way. Okay, well, yeah, that's half of the equation. You, You are hardwired to show up in certain ways. So for example, I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty far on the, on the introverted, non-social side of the scale. Um, on the other hand, I'm high on the kind of the show-off side of the scale. Um, so, you know, kind of understanding how you're naturally wired to show up, that's step one. Now, the challenge is a lot of times folks use that as an excuse. Well, that's just who I am. Okay, BS. Um, that's how you're hardwired to be. The second thing we need to know about ourselves is, how are we perceived in the environment that we work in? How do people see us showing up? Because oftentimes we think we're showing up one way, but turns out we're showing up in a fundamentally different way. If we want to understand how we show up on each of those areas, what one, what is my hardwired personality? How am I likely to show up unless I correct those behaviors? There's great tools out there. Um, we're big fans of this uh, tool called the Hogan Assessment. Uh, Ken, you probably know it well. Um, this is just a, a really uh, powerful, uh, simple, non-academic-y way of someone saying, here's how you're likely to show up, and here are the consequences of showing up that way. 
So it's a chance of not getting some type, and, and this, this is not Myers-Briggs type of stuff. Um, this is saying, let's slice and dice your personality and tell you how you're likely to show up if you don't correct the behaviors. And pretty powerfully, here's how you're likely to screw up your career if you don't change some of these behaviors. So personality, really understanding it through assessments like that can be really helpful to understand your baseline. But just as, or perhaps more important is, how am I perceived every day? And that needs to be 360. It needs to be, how do my direct see me? How do my peers see me? How does the, my boss or the board see me? Because most of us are blissfully unaware of how we show up every day. Uh, the, the science would say we all think we're just a little bit better uh, than we actually are on both performance and behavior. And so getting a real world view of that can be incredibly important. So two ways of looking at um, how can I be better as a leader, how can I be more self-aware, the challenge is that assessments or those assessments get you to the starting line. You, you haven't achieved anything by being assessed. You achieve things by taking that assessment and doing something with it. And I would guess, I don't know what your experience is, Ken, but 90% of leaders take those tests. They say, huh, that's interesting. Okay, that goes in the drawer and let's get to work. And that's where things get sad is you have all the information you need about how to be a better leader and for whatever set of good or, or not good reasons you aren't doing it. That was Mark Efron, president of the Talent Strategy Group and author of several books on management, speaking with the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta. Podcasts like this one are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber, thanks for listening.